cup coffee in here, please. You're listening to the Hoffy Coffee Cast with Reese Bolton and Reese Jones. Come on, get some coffee. Want some coffee? Okay, this guy needs coffee and cooler stack. Good coffee and hot. Watched um, I got I got around to find watching the Michael Bay's ambulance. Oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, Michael Bay, um, you, you can get. Like... I'm just imagining everything about it. So <laughs> let me guess, like everyone's like super tanned, vehicles like you know hot rod sort of vehicles and slow motion maybe. Explosions. Oh yeah, a lot of slow motion, a lot of explosions, a lot of cop cars flipping over. Um. <laughs> A lot of shouting, like in all these films, everyone shouts each other. There's no like yeah. normal talking. It shouts each other, and it's also there's always these kind of like um, there's always you know you got the feds turn up, you got the um, <laughs> the police, and they're all trying like the banter towards each other. They're kind of like, oh, oh yeah. I'm better than you and stuff like that. Force banter, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's it's really just so market based, but. I'll say this, it I feel like it's one of his stronger films. And a lot of people okay. say it's a return to form for him because and this is my opinion. I feel like he does well when it's stuff that he makes, like a, a you know, kind of idea that he makes, because you know, it's based on like a Danish film ambulance. And it's pretty much the same content context. And I mean it's the, the film is pretty basic. It's like, look, these bank robbers take an ambulance hostage and the people inside hostage and it's this massive cat and mouse high speed pursuit for LA and I feel like it does well because obviously because it's such a basic plot but also like Michael Bay can do where he wants without having to, there's no like fan base based on it do you get what I mean y- yeah, whilst I, I feel suppose, like yeah, yeah. with Transformers there was always a huge fan base with Transformers yeah and that's I mean, why I suppose we can also say like you know what he did to TMNT yeah, that, yeah, he didn't direct that, he produced that. Oh, same though, like, his yeah, impact, yeah, I think was, yeah, like, definitely there. Ugh. Yeah, I, but I feel like if you just made if transform if you just made a robot film about robots fight each other, <laughs> yeah. without having like any kind of like, oh, this is based on Transformers or this is own, his own idea, I don't think he would got as bad reception. Well, I think he would get bad anyway because you know, these films aren't great, but like, it wouldn't be as tarnished. As as some of his other film, you know, it won't be as tarnished. I feel like the Transformers films, the Michael Bay ones, are awful and they get worse as they go along. Hmm. And I think yeah. a lot of that is because people have grown up from the Transformers in the eighties and stuff in the nineties. <laughs> I, th- I see- thought you were going to say then they grew up out of his films, so like they just like they matured well, from it. Well, it's like a film like Bad Boys or The Rock. Yeah, it's not perfect, but at least it's enjoyable. That's God, what I yeah, find actually with... like The Rock. That's really weird. Yeah, yeah. Or even, um, well, Six Hundred Grand isn't the best. I mean, one. he did Armageddon, Gain, which Pain... I really like. Pain and Gain is a good film. Like, hey, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's a good film, but I wouldn't say it's perfect. But like, it's a good Michael Bay film. Let's just say that. It's like I think, yeah. The premise of anyone's not familiar, like these, um, it's based on a story. These sort of like, um bodybuilders try and extort like a businessman or something to just get money um, yeah yeah and it, i think that's that was a perfect premise for a michael bay film because it's just so like loud and obnoxious and everything's like super saturated you know it is like 
um, maximalist. You know, you know, you get like minim, uh, minimalist sort of films. It is maximalist. It's, it's the total opposite, and I feel that that is good for him. Yeah, yeah. And try to inject that, I, um, that pricey, I think, in all of his um, in his films. Yeah, to varying degrees of success. <laughs> uh, oh God! But yeah, ambulance. I mean, watch it if you want yeah. to have a. Uh, kind of action pump typical Michael Bay film. Yeah. So, um, anyone can tell that I am enthused to think about Michael Bay films. <laughs> so, um, hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Hobby Coffee Cast where we talk everything film, TV, video games, and conspiracy theories. I'm your host, Reese Bolton, and I'm your host, Reese Jones. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, for? I don't know, I just decided to mix it up. <laughs> I'm doing my own you try, thing. I thought you were doing an accent or something. Um, and today, oh no, no, um, you'd know if I did an accent, it'd be way too. <laughs> it'd be very bad. Uh, and today we are heading back to 10th century uh, Iceland, Scandinavia. Talk about uh, one of the most anticipated. Well, one of my most anticipated. Probably the same as you, Welsh. One of the most anticipated films yeah, this year yeah. with Robert Eggers, the Northman. Uh, so we could talk about everything Viking. Everything Viking, revenge, fancy tale. Everything the Scandinavian. Yeah. <laughs> We're going all like that. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, and obviously talk about some news as well. So, you can follow us on Instagram.com slash Hoffy Coffee Cast, Facebook at Hoffy Coffee Cast, Twitter at Hoffy Coffee Cast, and Man Reese's main uh, Instagram accounts, Bots97 and Reese B. Jones. Give us a like, follow, share, and review if you enjoyed the episode. So, Let's go and talk about some uh, quick news because we haven't done news in a while, have we? Uh, yeah, a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks. So, but uh, I mean, a lot's happened recently. Um, we can't cover everything as always, otherwise, it's be an episode on itself. But uh, I think the best thing we should talk about is uh, first thing is talk about the announcement that Natalie Holt will be scoring the Obi Wan show. Yeah. Now, um... I I remember we had a discussion about this. Like who reckoned will compose the Obi-Wan score because we know John Williams is composing the main theme but we never knew who was going to compose the Obi-Wan score and I had ideas of like um, uh, Bear McCready um, yeah I can't remember who I said I don't know if I have got it oh. uh, it's on my phone somewhere, it's my notes um, I think I might have said about like Ramin Jawadi maybe I can't yeah, remember yeah. oh no I, I wanted um uh, was it uh, Hildur, um, Hildur's daughter or something? Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. The, she's the, the, the Joker. Did, yeah, and Chernobyl. <laughs> right. So my top picks, yeah, let's put down. My top picks are Bay McCrazy, Ramin Jawadi, Lorne Balf, Benjamin yeah, Walfish, yeah. and Natalie Holt. And Natalie Holt obviously got it. Uh, is, is it Be- Ben Walfish? Benjamin Walfish. He did the... What, it, what is he? He's done the It score. Um, oh, he did yeah, the yeah. Late run 2049 score with Hans Zimmer. Uh, he did the Dunkirk score. He's not, he's like, he's in the kind of, he's one of the students of Hans Zimmer. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, Lorne so, like, like, is a student, yeah, like, yeah. like, like, Lorne yeah. They all kind of like, they're like the, you know, the apprentices of Hans Zimmer. <laughs> you make that I like that. So, um, yeah, Natalie Holt, and uh, I think, I, I think this is a good good choice to be honest i mean yeah uh she's up and coming um obviously everyone if you know her she did uh recently she did the score for loki 
Hell yeah. Um, and she's doing the upcoming the school for the upcoming Batgirl film as well. Um, so she's an upcoming director, and it's nice. I think this is a good change because obviously Star Wars we're all, is all being kind of male composers. So it's nice to have a female mm. composer being brought in to direct to compose a score for arguably one of the most uh, anticipated Star Wars properties at the moment, uh, Obi One. Yeah, I I'm I have a lot of faith in uh, Natalie Holt. If yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to think of like what she'll do. But I want to be like pleasantly surprised by like her her take on it because you got to think like anything that say um, Ludwig Göransson his his take on like the Mandalorian like you know you you know he wanted a sort of like a space western sort of feel so what are we gonna have with Obi Wan now we're gonna yeah. have some like maybe fantasy notes for like you know the Jedi sort of like the 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 lone wandering like knight. But then, you know, like in a space setting, I, I, I can't wait. I, I, I cannot wait for Obi Wan Kenobi. It's going to be great. See, I feel I, what I don't because obviously the trailer we had like so many callbacks to some of the the prequels uh, scores and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. What I kind of I, what I don't want is is to like have a rehashing kind of it <laughs> to kind of be uh, kind of like like a, a Michael Giacchino score. My, I mean. In a way, yeah, yeah, because yeah, because because obviously, I don't want to have like constant like dual the fates or about the heroes playing yeah, or something. Yeah. I, like when we have the fight between Darth Vader and Obi Wan, I kind of want to have like a uh, own score for that. Um, I want maybe you know when we sort of I I I'm, I've convinced myself now we're gonna get another Obi Wan and Darth Vader uh, fight. I mean, I've I don't I don't think it's a good I idea, I, but I, it's I think that's confirmed. I think it's confirmed. Hundred ten percent confirmed. I think we should get a sting. So when they see each other for the first time again, we get the duel of fate sting. No, no, sorry, we'll get the battle of the heroes sting. You know, dun 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 dun. Yeah, and then yeah. we'll get like an original sort of thing for their fight. Yeah, because the thing is, I don't know how, like, because obviously this is going to be set 10 years after the, the Avengers Sith, but I don't know where they're going to try and make it as prequely as possible. Not in terms of like, um, just in terms of the score, like, um, but at the end of the day, I think, um, uh, they'll probably drop like an Obi Wan theme for yeah. Or, or oh, when, they will. Yeah, it will drop like a teaser theme or something or score hmm. in the I run think, up um, to the a good show. idea would be basically like what they did for the first ever the premiere uh, for the Mandalorian is we put a lot of um, say o, um, OT references in the very first episode for or for in this case. We're going to have a lot of prequel references in the first episode of Kenobi. And then going forward then, we're going to have their own, our, our own, like, thing going forward. Yeah, yeah. But I think the, the the familiarity, like, the member berries needs to be there to attract the existing fan base. Oh, yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, as well, and then I might be, like, kind of going against what I'm saying, but, like... And they, I think they're trying to make it kind of like a, a 3.5 or like something between like being like this is kind of like a sequel to Venture the Sith. I know, I, I, I agree. I, I really think that it needs to happen because I think, <laughs> but, they... I, I, but I don't want it to be like too, too much prequel ish. That's do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, there definitely needs to be the transition. So, what they oh, yeah. try to do for, um, you know what they did in the Clone Wars, where they slowly, um, they slowly showed a transition between 
um, the Republic going into the Empire. Well, they need to do that now, but in a more aggressive sense. Yeah, they do. I mean, that's the thing. It's like what the fan base kind of want as well. Because some fan, some people just want to have like, oh, they want, they just want to have Duel of Fates and Battle the Heroes and, and <laughs> yeah. Dark Beast playing all the time. It's not going to happen, guys. <laughs> which is fine. But then also then people kind of want it, you know, they, they don't want to kind of make it be like, oh, we're just trying to make it so as prequel as possible. Because what this show has to be, it has to be in the middle between episode three and episode four. Because mm, um, yeah, because we're seeing kind of like the 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 the, the kind of divergence, the, the change of Ian McGregor Obi Wan to Alec Guinness Obi Wan, and this yeah. is going to be in the midpoint of that. So it's gonna hopefully we're gonna get a bit kind of like a kind of turn later on to kind of more original trilogy, and then at the start of the show be a bit more kind of prequelish. Yeah, um, well, I mean, especially I I. I'd even go against, you know, what I just said, and I just say we have no sort of like prequel shit whatsoever. But I'm convinced it'll happen when we have the flashbacks going to the Clone War again. That should be basically like a picnic for prequel fans. We, that and that's when we should get maybe like I don't know, just like a lot of like not even just full soundtracks, but just like stings from like the original. Um, I say sting. I don't mean sting. I mean, um, um, you know, a flourish. Yeah. yeah a certain like um, uh, a soundtrack hook or something. See, my see, even just those. See, my perfect ending of a show. I know it sounds so just like fanboy of me. Of just, I Obi-Wan. think I know what you're gonna say. But go on. Yeah. Obi Wan goes goes to um, uh, see Owen and see Owen Lars, and he talk and he finds Luke, and then maybe he gives Luke something to like. Oh, this is remember me by this or something like that, or like having a discussion with Luke, and then he walks off and in in his twin sons, and then that's kind of like the the fourth theme plays, and that's it. Which I kind of like. I know it sounds very much like copying the end of the Revenge of the Sith, but it's kind of like I, I kind of like that. I feel like that's how you end the show. Hmm. Because in the day, this is going to be leading up to the events of the original trilogy, which is going to be about you know <sighs> Luke. Like you don't know how many times Luke encounters Obi Wan, or as he t- becomes yeah. turns to a Ben Kenobi. I I think um, what like what they're hiding is that they, there's going to be an, a a young Jedi or someone who's force sensitive that Obi Wan has to help. That's yeah, not Luke. yeah. So yeah. I think that they're gonna he's gonna help them, uh, and then like to, to get away. And I think the end is basically just going to be like him. And this is, this is this is my like proper like fan fiction thing. He's kept um, Qui Gon Jinn's lightsaber, so he gives like this young Jedi or this young Force sensitive person, or um, Qui Gon Jinn's uh, lightsaber. Yeah, you know he realizes he needs to stay on Tatooine, but he gives this <clears throat> this person a lightsaber to help them. You know, <laughs> or maybe or maybe, maybe wait, it. or maybe that Jedi dies. By Darth Vader, and you realize, oh, okay. <laughs> I, like, how, how does Darth Vader come into this? I think what it's going to be it. is it's going to be that it's going to be like you send in the the pawns in to <sighs> defeat um, Obi Wan, and they fail. So then you send in the king or the queen. Hmm. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like Thanos idea. Like, fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> yeah. Because um, 
I feel like what's going to happen is Obi-Wan's going to... Obviously, he's not going to... He's going to probably defeat the Grand Inquisitor, but it's not going to be like... I don't know how it's going to play out because the Grand Inquisitor, last time he got defeated, he killed. He basically killed himself. Yeah, so, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why they're including him either. I think it's just going to be kind of him being there, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like having... Um, what do you call it? Uh, what's his name? Um, Moff Gideon. Not Moff Gideon. Um, who's the other one? Um... Tarkin, Tarkin yeah. in it, just so it's like, oh, it relates to kind of like the story, yeah. Because well, yeah, he, so would, like be, he would be him, there, but you know he's yeah. not going to die. Like, yeah, he, yeah. if you can have the Sith Inquisitors in the show, you're going to have to have the Grand Inquisitor in it, hmm. like doesn't yeah. make an appearance and stuff like that. I, I don't think he's. I reckon he's going to be defeated by Obi Wan, but he's not going to be killed. But then it's going to be maybe Darth Vader then appears or something but like it, that. But even if he defeats him, it can't be on Tatooine. Because that because that makes a massive plot, though, and it's like, well, why have they why have they just left him alone on on, on Tatooine? No, all it, time? It, it won't be on Tatooine. It'll be somewhere else. Or Obi Wan will have to like fake his own death or some shit. I I, I don't know. I, I look, look. I'm looking forward to seeing how like Je- Deborah Chow like directs the whole thing. But if the writing isn't there, you know, I've like, got her... You think they would have put a lot of effort behind? No, I've been for Obi Wan Kenobi. I've been, I've been such Star Wars uh, thingy. I'm, I'm in such, I'm, I'm in everything Star Wars right now. I've been playing the Lego yeah. Star Wars games and <laughs> a Lego yeah. Star Wars saga. So I'm all everything Star Wars right now. I'm, I can't, I can't just want more Star yeah. Wars. I don't think it'd be as bad as what people. No, I, I, I think what people have got high hopes for this, um, especially. Yeah, I like I, people are saying, oh, you know, oh, you shouldn't have that much hype. Look, this is Obi Wan Kenobi. The last time we saw him, right, live action, was in 2005. Of course yeah. it's going to be hype. Yeah, of course. Of course yeah. it's going to be hype, right? It, it is, it's like saying, oh, why were people so hyped to see Luke Skywalker again? Because the last time we saw him was in 19, what was it, 83, wasn't it? Return of the Jedi. No, 1984, I think Return of the Jedi was. Was it? 1980 was... No, 1983. Oh, right. I remember, like, 1980 was uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, and 83 I, is... Yeah, uh... because people, like... You know, I know, like, fans do get, like, all hyped for, like, certain things. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not exempt from it. But, look, it's like... You know that, like... And, look, they make a massive promotional deals out of it. Because they know that, like, it'll sell. Like, put in Obi Wan's picture and his lightsaber on, like, um, like film magazine. Why do they do that if not to raise the hype and to raise like the excitement for the show to yeah, get bums yeah. on seats? Yeah. And then they accuse fans of being like toxic. Then when the show doesn't <laughs> deliver, right? I think I think he's you blame the sequel trilogy for that. Uh I'm warming think, to the sequel trilogy. I I'm think you, I think I'm not. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe not episode nine. We, we do not talk about I think people don't realize how much the sequel trilogy kind of damaged the fan base. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I, um, like I saw a video essay on YouTube and it was called so it was called it the the anti trilogy. It was Disney's yeah. anti trilogy. Yeah. Mate, it got to the point with the sequel trilogy, yeah, that people were cheering for Palpatine to kill Ray, which <laughs> if you That's actually <laughs> want that <laughs> Then you know you fucked up with your character and story. Because, you, look, the thing is, you bring him back, right, for the last ever film, 
you know he's going to be defeated, right? So there's this like, yeah, it's, it's you know you know like when you're watching Infinity War, right? Same thing. You honestly, want, mate, you wanted honestly, Thanos to win, on, didn't you? Honestly, mate, I'm talking I, to you, fans. You wanted him to win. Honestly, mate, I literally, I'm I'm more going towards the prequel side and thinking these are better than the sequel trilogy. I don't think I, can... I really do. I think so. I think so because yeah. Lucas, look, he made like the dialogue is terrible and some of the like um, creative choices are questionable. But he had a single unified vision for all three episodes. So, in order to make the secret trilogy really redeemable, you you need to release something that could be like the wor- that could be defined as the worst Star Wars thing ever released, and that's not <laughs> including the holiday. <laughs> that's not including the holiday special. So. Yeah. So um, what you're saying is there's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger fish, yeah. Bit yeah. of a prequel meme right there. Um did you see uh, the thing I sent you um about season two and or started filming? Yeah. Why Right, why, so why... right, it's they're basically Disney then released an article saying they debunked it. Um they said that uh, it, it was debunked, but it, people running, but people making jokes so much. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. I can't believe like Judge Binks returns as like Lol. as like a <laughs> as like a Sith user in Andor, and I I um and I was just like, so we we haven't got anything of Andor tra- season one, and we are getting the season two filming. We haven't seen any trailer. We haven't seen anything. Well, we know the casting, but like, there's no, we don't know what the story is, and yet they started filming season two. Um, people are saying Star Wars Celebration coming up. That's when they're going to drop a trailer. But then I'm just like, we'll we'll get something. I think it feels very much like what is this show about? And between this and Obi Wan, I'm more excited for Obi Wan and Andor because in a day, uh, I think Andor what's going to be is it's going to be actually the birth of the rebellion. Yeah. In Rebels, you don't really see the birth of Rebellion. You kind of see the Rebellion already kind of up and running a bit. And um, whilst this show, I reckon, is going to be like the birth of Rebellion, this show is going to be very much about the the planets realizing, the, you know, the kind of senators and the planets realizing that uh, Palpatine is evil and you know, disagreeing, going to kind of hold this dictate, you know, tyrannical kind of route. And then they start forming like very a small coalition of kind of like uh, rebel groups, yeah, yeah, which then formed to create this idea of rebellion. And I think that's what's going to be about. And to be honest, that is quite interesting because that's going to again, that's going to be that's probably going to be set around maybe the same time as or even earlier than the Obi Wan show. Um, and yeah. I think that can be interesting. I'm, until I see until I see a trailer, I am not excited for Andor. I, I like um I forget his name, but the, you know the guy who plays Cassian. Yeah, I, I like. I thought he was really really good in Rogue One, but I'm just not excited. I don't think the story's there. I think this. It's weird what they're making season two of it, which kind of makes me feel like it's just, just going to be a rebellion. Uh, it's just going to be like the origins of a rebellion show. I reckon. I just think like it's that. Disney playing least... safe and just going with like, oh, you know, look, look, the fans want the rebels they... versus the Empire. Well, they announced season two, and now they're they're saying they're filming it, but then that got debunked. They're filming it, but it's still being confirmed that they announced season two. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's, we, it's we, just like 
people you know, so... cheeses around tables and just yeah they, they don't yeah. understand what people want <laughs> um anyways let's go jump into um another disney property talking about the um the four trailer for love and thunder trailer ha huh. We finally got one because it was 90 days before the so actual release. And when we, actually we got saw a certain film the other week, I literally, like, I, we, we were, like, t- chatting with me. And then, like, I, I left you to sort of, like, um, to drive home. And then, literally, like, I got a message saying that, like, holy shit, like, the new Thor uh, trailers came out. And I was like, no way. Yeah. So, yeah. And I know it's only a, a teaser. We get, like, little to no plot details whatsoever. But it's probably one of my favorite trailers at the moment. It's so fun. Like, I don't know if like because they, they do export like the if these films like but to companies to make trailers, but it, it feels so much like Taika Waititi. It does. It does. And like, yeah, like overlaying um, "Sweet Child of Mine" by Guns N' Roses. It's perfect. It is phenomenal. And the, I haven't seen, I haven't even seen the film yet. You can right. So following looking at this film, it looks like the plot's going to be that four kind of wants to retire from being the uh, you know the god of thunder, and then he's kind of brought back to do something because I think God the God Butcher is wants to kill all the Norse god the gods or something. Yeah, he's called the God Butcher for a reason, and then <laughs> yeah. somehow um, Natalie Portman's Jane Foster has the god wielding abilities now basically i would go in certain ways either he leaves the mantle and it goes to find someone else who's worthy or she is a variant i was thinking that yeah maybe she's a variant that'd be quite interesting actually Hmm. um and i think they're going to follow with a cancer storyline in um because in the in the comic where uh jane foster becomes four she has cancer so i don't know much more much more further than that but i mean one way you could kind of bring that in is the the ether her being kind of you know being experiencing the ether may may have given her kind of cancer symptoms Hmm. that's one way you can do it but I think it's going to be pretty much, yeah, Thor's going to come back and maybe it's, uh, they all come together to fight Gore the God Butcher. The Guardian's going to be in it as well. I don't know how long the Guardian's going to be in it. Maybe there's going to be in the beginning. Um, yeah, I want to say first film. act. First yeah. act and, and, and then, then maybe they come into it at the end. Yeah, and then yeah. maybe you can have Guardians Galaxy Volume 3 kind of set during maybe Love and Thunder, but obviously, I don't know. Um, but Looking at it, it looks amazing. The cinematography looks beautiful. It just looks that kind of retro, kind of Flash Gordon yeah. kind of vibes that for look for was. I'm glad Tyker's bringing that back for Love and Thunder. Yeah, um, it I've really been reminds... watching um, Our Flag Means Death with Tyker. Yeah, I I cannot get I can't get enough of his like his like visual comedy and like how like he injects like his. I, I want to say like whimsical comedy mm, into like yeah. especially like the character of Thor. It's brilliant. Love it. Yeah, because they made Thor actually interesting as well. Yeah. Thor Ragnarok is probably my favorite MCU film. Yeah, uh, uh it's definitely on one of my top ones. 
Um, but I, I, he reminds me of those kind of 70s, 80s kind of swashbuckling yeah. kind of... I want to um, say like retrofuturism. Retrofuturism. Also, it reminds me of those kind of like... I don't know if your dad has any, but like or your grandfather has. But like my dad has this collection of like really old kind of sci-fi books. Like um, they're made in the 70s and 80s and they're kind of like about well, these weird planets yeah. and weird aliens well, You and know stuff. what like the aesthetic it, reminds me of? Um, do you know, like the Princess of Mars sort of like stuff? That's yeah, that's that's what I was on about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love that sort of like especially like that. Yeah, it's mm, I don't know, I don't know if it's retrofuturism, but I know what you mean yeah, like that. This sort of like oh, I don't know. It's not even it's not even campy. It's just no. so it's just it's an, it's an art style, a stylized sort yeah. of like uh, futurism. It's, it's yeah, lush. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you can't like realize, uh, if you can't guess, we are both very excited to see this. <laughs> well, we see our look as well of looks like uh, Zeus as well, played by Russell Crowe. Holy, holy shit! If they if they keep his Australian accent as well, I would go, I would go mental. And I love like the, like the, the classic like lightning bolt thing. I I love it. I it looks so fucking good. I'm not gonna. Oh my um, God. It's also a shot on the trailer where the teaser that looks like it's uh, it's Korg and Thor, but it's a lot and of space death. Someone else, and they kind yeah. of they, they kind of like the space death. So it's kind of a question of who it is going to be. Like people think it might be Beta Ray Bill, uh, Loki, or like you know, a variant of Loki. I oh my god, I, I can't wait. I, no, I like I can't wait. another like variant of Thor because we get in like you know, uh, Mighty Thor, you know, like um. Jane Foster's version. So why not get like another version? Do you reckon this is going to get a point where I, that's the thing with the variants? Obviously, we're going to get a lot of variants in Doctor Strange and Multiverse Manners. Do you reckon it'll be kind of a bit tiring if you get more variants, variants in for um, Love, Love and Thunder? Because I, wanna, I feel like yeah, I want to say no because if if like the introduction of the variants or like how we the interaction with the multiverse as long as that interaction is kept fresh and new in each like different film i think it can it can work because they i think they they are looking to um maybe not just like massively focus on the multiverse but you know how in the first like in the infinity saga it was all about how uh the whole thing was about the, the infinity stones well in this one is it's obviously going to be about the multiverse so yeah Maybe not every film's going to be about the multiverse, but it's def- the plot's definitely going to interact more and more with the multiverse, like especially these these variants. Yeah. <laughs> if that well, I, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to it. I remember everyone was kind of like, oh, it's, been, it's come so close to the release date, there's no trailer, what's going on? Well, and, um... <laughs> people were very worried about, like, oh, maybe Thor Ragnarok was a one trick, like um, Taika Waititi was a one-trick pony. People were like v- doubting his ability to create something good, you know, because the, the, these people had seen Thor Ragnarok and they'd never seen anything like, you know, what we do in the shadows, the hunt for the wildy people, Jojo Rabbit. Well, you could say the same thing with um, uh, the Derusa brothers when they released Winter Soldier. I mean, the only stuff the Derusa brothers really directed was Community. Yeah, um, and that I would say Community, like obviously, he has a big, he has a big following. Yeah. when it came out but it wasn't as kind of the viewership of community wasn't really like on par say i don't know maybe friends or the office US. yeah yeah it was kind of like when it shows that like 
it grew to get a steady audience, a good audience after it was done. And I, uh, I definitely after the Russos became mainstream directors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but they showed the Russo brothers showed they can make a brilliant Captain America uh, f- film that was very relevant yeah. to our time and be as and gritty as possible. Like, be such a homage to to seventies kind of espionage spy films. Um, and then they they did it again with Captain America: Civil War, and they they proved that you could have all these villains fight, you know, these heroes fight each other with a good story, and you mm. know that's kind of like what Batman versus Superman kind of failed at. Um, but you know, same with I, I think Tiger Atiti, like he's shown that he has not really made anything bad yet. Touch wood. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Touching wood. Touching wood. He hasn't had a rotten uh, apple core yet, so he hasn't uh, had nice. a rotten, rotten apple. So yeah. I think I his... think he's probably one of the most talented directors and creative minds in Hollywood at the moment. And also, he's got such good producer with Ken Feige. Ken Feige saw how Full Ragnarok went, how it kind of went critically and commercially. It was the highest grossing four film ever yeah. out of the three, and he showed that yeah. Tagwatiti, your kind of style, your kind of, you know, your style of direction, it was successful. So I'm going to let you continue doing it. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that is what really, that's what make him, what's make him Feige great. Because yeah. if he, if Tiger made this for, uh, say, Warner Brothers, I think he'll be very too much studio interfering, mm. in my opinion. I don't know, because looking at how Warner Brothers has treated um James Gunn, they've given him a lot of like creative control over. Good point. Um, good point. Yeah, I, they... but that's that's. I think that's a very isolated incident because yeah, they they were very desperate. I think to rejuvenate it really, um, the the Suicide Squad. It really depends on the property they're doing, and exactly. it depends yeah. on the character. Like I feel like hmm. they brought him Tagwatisi because the four films weren't really seen as the best films, so it's kind of like we need to kind of yeah. freshen up. Well, but... they were the boring films. Yeah, and Thor was yeah. boring. Yeah, but I, I, I'm safely saying that he's my favorite Avenger. Yeah, his first two films were boring, and the Dark World was, mm, you know, not great. No, but Thor Ragnarok, it, it's, it's Thor was there, but he was never cool. But now Thor is cool. Yeah, he, he is. He's who he's always meant to be. He, he's the god of thunder. He's meant to be rock and roll. Yeah, brilliant. Can't wait. Right, so um, from one, uh, I, I, I'm going to segue this. Right, <laughs> talking about uh, Norse mythology, um, let's talk about uh, let's get a view of the the Northman, Robert Edgar's uh, new film coming out in cinemas right now. So, um, yeah, me, you went watch to see went to watch Northman in uh, Cardiff Bank last Monday. It's gone very quick this week, hasn't it? So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I obviously I've been a big fan of Robert Eggers since the beginning. I remember watching mm. The Witch, and I thought this was one of my most favorite um, horror films of recent years. I did an essay for my masters on The Witch, talking about how uh, the rurality and kind of like the how nature and landscape kind of like as, is a good kind of like structure for horror, especially against the uh, like people from the urb, urban communities, and obviously. You know, if you if you want to hear more about that, you should watch our review of The Witch and the Lighthouse, which we did back in season one. So it's part of a Halloween kind of series. Um, 
and obviously talking about lighthouse we obviously big fans of lighthouse as well and it was really did really well for what Watson's career it was such a brilliant um film about kind of the madness um you know um masculinity and stuff like that it, it was absolutely so brilliant and i mean him coming back coming here to do northman and this is like this is kind of like his big kind of this popcorn kind of blockbuster kind of film now like he's kind of <laughs> yeah. meddled in a bit kind of the art art house kind of thing now he's gone on to kind of art house indie but now kind of gone to like kind of the blockbuster popcorn style 90 million uh budget and it's basically just like a revenge tale set in uh 10th century um uh the world yeah. of um vikings really um it's based on um the legend of amleth which obviously inspired one of shakespeare's most uh, uh significant uh plays tragedies um hamlet do you know have you got do you obviously because you probably know a bit more about that than i do do you know do you know a bit more about the whole legend of amleth about like um well obviously it's, it's a legendary tale so it's yeah whether or not it was meant to be a sort of like a parable of you know like revenge will you know you like to say it is that when um when you seek revenge dig two graves not yeah yeah um i'm not sure where it's meant to be a parable but it's, it's definitely a very um important legend i think in scandinavian and um uh like poetics sort of like um it, it was obviously like an, an oral tradition where they these um the skulls like the poets would learn this story and it was about um yeah so it you know it, the bare bones of Hamlet is there. So, you know, it's like this prince and his father, the king of this kingdom, he's, he's killed by his uncle. So the, um, the, the, the uncle then assumes the throne and marries um, the prince's mother. And then, you know, the, the prince is obsessed with, you know, um, avenging his father. And, the, and the, it's, it's all about really, it's losing oneself you know, and not really fulfilling one's destiny but thinking it's it's thinking that you are fulfilling your destiny by not not carrying out someone else's aims but you know it's living your life for someone's death i suppose and if you kind of i mean it's not just what like know about read about hamlet or watch any adaptions of it but kind of knowing kind of the revenge tale like going into it i knew Obviously, this is a big spoiler episode, but like, um, you knew he was going to die at the end, wasn't it? It was kind of like there was no way he was going yeah. to kind of walk walk out into the sunset after what happened and stuff like that. <sighs> and um, but in the day, like he achieved what he wanted to do, yeah. and and he and with um, obviously Anya Taylor Joy as um, the character she plays. Um, Olga uh, obviously had been pregnant with his children. At least then he's kind of knows that his lineage will carry on. Mm, yeah, it it, it is a, a lot of um, I want to say like family dynamics and how we can be poisonous or wholesome. Yeah, or yeah, I, I want to say about in, enduring. Or how families, you know, you, you you want your family to endure. And maybe it's not about oneself, but about one's but family. It's, but it's also about one's honour as well, because the reason mm. why he goes up against his uncle and kills him because his, two, his father died 
his, his, you know, his honor was taken from him. And to regain that honor, that's why Amleth goes to kill the uncle. Yeah. And, and the idea is like, yeah. And yeah, the idea is, you know, kind of in a weird way, kind of shamed like as well, because um, even Hawk plays King Aldavil, uh, Vandil, um, and the idea is he wants to die in battle. I remember the beginning of the film, he talks about it, but he dies really much kind of, you know, he gets, you know, he gets killed by traitors really. And in a way it's Amleth doing all this. So to regain kind of like, Oh, your father, you died for nothing. Mm. Um, it's all very much, you look at the top back then, it's all much about dying with honor. If you don't die, him. If you don't die with your sword holding your weapon, you don't go to Valhalla. It's very yeah. much like you can see how much Valhalla makes a big thing. You know, it's like people want to go to to Valhalla. They don't want to go to the to Helheim. Um, hmm. it, it it is all about you know achieving a glorious end. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it it's, is. To be celebrated in not not just your you know life is suffering for these people. So. Anything that's great and glorious is death. And the idea is like Amleth knows that like I can't just kill him and I'd be done with it. I've got to make him suffer. Like I've got to make my uncle suffer because in a way it's kind of it's I'm making you suffer as I have suffered all those years. Yeah. Because well, what's Amleth... like what's the refrain that he keeps on using? It's like um, avenge father, save mother, kill Fjotnir. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And those words echo throughout and throughout his like his mm. life because he was the obviously next in line to the throne, and then he got that got taken from him. So in the idea, it's like he suffered. Like I lost everything because of you, so I'm going to make you suffer as I have suffered. But it's interesting, like when he like when he goes to see kind of when he realizes that. Um, Fjordnir basically, in a way, kind of lost everything as well, because as he took over king, he lost his territory to King Harold. Yeah, and they he basically had to flee to Iceland in order to set up like a new home. You know, mm. you look at that thinking, oh, this guy has suffered. He has has lost stuff as well. So, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like you lost my kingdom. You know, you killed my father. You took his kingdom and you lost it. It's very, um, yeah, it's it, it's very interesting. And at the end of the day, like, you don't, well, the, it, Eggers does it really well that you kind of see that no one in this world is perfect. There's no really, there's no good heroes and villains in this world, but these characters, they believe they're the hero and he's the villain. To Amleth, he sees himself as the hero the whole time. And, um and the idea is like he actually is, you know, he he sees himself as the hero, but to be honest, he's not. Like, and we see that these people aren't heroes and villains because, you know, you look at like Fjolnir, he, you know, he can be seen as the villain of the story because he killed his father, but then the day he's a family man, he's, you know, he's got, you know, he's got, he's a caring husband and father to his children, and when you see his children all get murdered and his wife murdered. You do feel sorry for him, but he's lost everything. Um, so and when it comes to the final fight between him and Amleth, you kind of like, in my opinion, think that like I don't want either of them to win. 
Mm. I don't know where you felt you felt that, but I feel like Eggers did a really good job at kind of in a way, kind of not not making these characters black and white in terms of like they're like good and they're bad and stuff like that. Yeah, you, you know, these people are all willing to kill for the sake of, like, securing their own family's safety. I, Yeah, I, I agree, but I think it was focused more on um, the length someone would go to, yeah, you know, secure the honour of one's family, but also, you know, what would you do to make, make sure that your children are safe? Yeah, and that's why you can kind of sympathise with Volnir's mm. character, because... The shot, one of the shots where he literally comes out and it's after Amleth um, kills um, his mother and um, his um, half brother, you'll say that. Yeah. And he looks at them and he just kind of without any words, and then he says it like, "Oh, I'll meet you in the, you know, in the gates of hell." Yeah. You just know that, like, it's he's it's very even-handed. Volnir I mean... knows he has nothing. To... Yes, he he's lost everything now, so he can afford yeah. to die, basically. Yeah. Well, to Amleth, I mean, like, like he's um, you know how like spoilers, but like the mother, so Nicole Kidman's character, you know, she's sort of like to be like, oh, you know, she's in love with uh Fjotnir and stuff, but then he's willing to just go out of his way and rape um Olga. Yeah, I, I, I. I, I then, then again, again, these are like kind of they're not heroes or villains, they're kind of yeah, in the they're middle. Great. Yeah, they're, they're great, great they're characters, great characters. Are, yeah, they're gloriously like multifaceted. I think they're, they're yeah. human, you know, they aren't you know, like it's, it's not a Shakespearean play anymore, you know. Like, if but if you think about it, how many people of Amleth, how many women chose Amleth killed exactly. throughout his years yeah. raiding all these kind of yeah. thoughts and stuff? You know, I mean, he might, you know, he, he liked to say, you know, sort of like almost like Batman was there. like, oh, you know, I, I don't like sort of harm like certain people and all this stuff. You know, he has like, um, he has lines he does not cross. But yet again, you know, like, I think it's good that they showed. This, the raid on that village at the beginning when he was one of the berserkers that uh, scaled the walls. He might or not, you know, like p- uh, participated in any, any sort of like raping or, um, you know, any sort of like b- uh, butchering of children or anything. But he he was happy to just sit by and watch it. It really, I feel like that that sequence, obviously, I think it's, I think it's one of the best uh director sequence Robert Eggers has ever done. I think it was a one shot, wasn't it? It was a one shot, yeah. And Brilliant. in that in that Brilliant, one shot yeah. you see just basically it gives you like the kind of the what was it like at the time, the idea of like what like the you know the common people this time had to endure. Um and also it it sets up kind of the kind of the mood of the film. It's like okay, this is you know you're seeing people getting burnt alive. Um you get you see people getting burnt alive. You see women, children being taken to slaves. You see like women getting raped. You see children being slaughtered and all that. This isn't like um, this isn't a very light, colourful fantasy film. This is very much a grueling, dark fantasy film, which in in the end of the day is really realistic because what Game of Thrones has shown us is that really much it, what it was like back then. Um, you know, this isn't kind of the the fairy tales of you know wise knights going off to war mm. and the chivalry 
well, chivalry didn't exist back then. Chivalry, the concept chivalry of, never existed. Yeah, but the, all, the, the idea. Ideal. Yeah, idea. the ideal, but the ideal, the ideal chivalry really didn't come about until like medieval kind of romances, really. In, yeah, until yeah. like the twelfth, the twelfth and thirteenth um, centuries, way after this. But like um, the idea is, this is basically what you know. This is this is basically what the common kind of warrior was like. They were, you know, they're not going. They would do what they want. They are, they, you know, they will kill what's in their way. And it and it was that basic, you know, that was basically what it was like back then. And I like how films, fancy films, are showing that route. To be honest, and not going away from the whole kind of like it was kind of chivalrous back then. Kind of, you know, last like when you look at Arthurian literature, it's all trying to bring in this kind of chivalrous aspect, but it's not really to that. And mm. I, I think this film does it really, really well. And, you know, that kind of sequence shows you, yeah, this is the tone of the film. This is mm. what you can be seeing. And the end of the day, if you don't want to watch, if you don't see kids burning, getting burnt alive in a, in a, in a house, then this film ain't for you, you know? Because yeah. I, I wouldn't even go, go you know, to say, like, this is, like, realism or anything like that, like, by no stretch of the imagination. I'd, I'd say, like, this was brutalist, dark fantasy. Do you don't think this is realism at all? No, no. I feel like I, it's... I, I really think in this they are gods, they are uh, visions and prophecy. You know, because I I don't think there's any sort of like say you know hallucination or anything. I think there's a lot of like magic to be had in this. Oh yeah, when but it I comes think it's dark fantasy, but I'm... brutalist. When I'm talking about when I'm talking about kind of the I'm I'm excluding the um, the idea of the mythology. I'm talking more about the the kind of the idea of raping the pillaging back then. And I feel like this show, this film shows it's the, the it's realistic then because obviously people weren't burnt, were burnt alive in um, houses. You know, there there was a scene where you know he cuts off people, these two two uh, soldiers, and he makes them make like a, like what was it like a like a like a, um, a, a sketch of um, a piece of like a, a horse, isn't it? Like he makes um, he makes sleep near. So it's um it's an eight legged horse that Odin rides to board. Yeah, war. yeah. See, that is, you know, not not implied, not that like the, the mythology aspect to it, but kind of like yeah, people were kind of like chopped to pieces and made in kind of yeah. kind of messed up ways. Yeah, it was like the ultimate. Um, remember, he chops that um, man's head off and he puts it between his legs by his ass. Yeah, yeah. It's humiliation. It's shame. Yeah, shame that, in that, the enemy. But that's what it did. And as you said about the uh, kind of mythology aspect, okay, you know, there's that's when obviously the fancy element comes into it because if you're somebody who you know who in a day it's, it all comes into the kind of discussion whether if you want to go realism, whatever what Amleth is experiencing when he has his visions, as you know, hallucinations and stuff, or kind of something to do with kind of uh, a drug and stuff, and if you want. You know, if you want to talk about that, you, there's so many books I was looking about how kind of realistic aspect of visions, like that it's you know, it's created by some sort of drug and stuff. They're not uh, actually, yeah. I mean, like, they're not actually like, seeing, like they're yeah. not actually seeing themselves being taken to Valhalla. It's it's a trope, isn't it? It's like it's, it's like a trope, a, a yeah. Vision yeah. quest. If you yeah. know, like people eat, um, what do they call it? Like, um, uh, you know, mushrooms like um, like psilocybin mushrooms. And yeah, stuff, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is the 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 practices 
the Vikings do in this film are realistic to what they were back then. Yeah, yeah. I, I think because um, I think especially sort of say the um, the costume designer, like she, she did um, a lot of research into the sort of archaeological digs and seeing like what these people were buried, buried in, sort of make the 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 costume in quite accurate to the time. But yeah, you know, I think yeah, a lot of like the sort of like the um, the rituals and um, how they were acting. I think yeah, it was, it was very realistic. I think to what they would have done. Um, I, I want to say that I think this is probably my favorite performance of Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, I have to say as he's, well. He's um he's wanted to make something like this since 2011. I read up about it in the week. It was um he's been wanting to you know get like a studio to make like a, a big sort of like Viking thing, you know, for like over ten years. Um, he was attached to something a few years ago, but I think it fell through, or like the the studio sold it off. But then he was, um, yeah, you became in well, it's, talks it's, it's, with Eggers. Then it's part of you know, this, well, he's Swedish, isn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, or the Skarsgård brothers are, yeah. They're, so it's part of their kind of culture, isn't it? To and they, he's probably been brought up like hearing stories. That's the way we've been brought up hearing stories about King Arthur and stuff, and yeah, all these great kings that uh, fought, you know in battle and you know like Agincourt and all that mm. like we've been brought up of that and for them they've been he's probably built up him stories about uh you know his great viking warriors um who fought fought many battles and um and so the idea is he you know be creating something like that is what uh he wants and i think yeah i think and obviously it's around about and then now Vikings is like kind of the show is kind of really create this kind of this kind of cultural fascination with um with you know Norse mythology and stuff like yeah. that. Even stuff that we talked we talked about four earlier, and that yeah. was you know that kind of people got more fascinated with yeah, Norse mythology a, from that. It's a lot of exposure for like all this, the Norse like yes. myths and stuff. Yes, it's you know, yeah. You know, as you said, you know, got like. Uh, Thor, the Vikings, you know, the Assassin's Creed, Valhalla, you know, there's like there's loads of stuff. You know, and Last Kingdom, yes, yeah, and yes, eventually this is going to die down. The idea of Norse fascination with Vikings is going to get to a point where it's going to be kind of savory, and people are going to be like, oh, another Norse Viking <laughs> adaption or something. So I think this film came out in like a really a brilliant time, you know. Um, and it, it makes it so obviously like and it makes it so different because we've had so much Viking media about the co- the great human army, the conquest of England, uh, the Dane law and all that. And it's really nice to get something refreshing that is set somewhere different, you know. They mentioned in England once in this in this film, but the main con- focus is really on like the other territories that the Vikings uh, conquered, and it's and it's and this is a tenth century, which this is way after you know the kind of what people say is kind of like the the Viking Age is still around back back then, but kind of the core kind of the 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 when they, everyone talk about the Viking Age, they talk about the ninth century um, Viking colonization of England, yeah, um, you know, like that's the last kingdom of uh, you know. Assassin's Creed Valhalla or the Viking show kind of focuses on. There's also other moments as well, and I like how the Walkman is focusing on a different kind of period in the Viking Age. 
it's set in mm. a different time and it's all also about kind of the whole colonization of other places because they go to iceland in this and you see iceland is you know it's not as it's at the early stages where of early colonization of iceland so you have yeah. always land that you can like um you can start a farm in or start like a, a settlement in, you know, uh, and the shots in this film are amazing, showing just this kind of desolate landscape, which in my opinion, very, very similar to what Eggers did with the witch, showing this kind of landscape where nature is basically in control. Um, and it works. I'm, as I'm talking about this, I'm realizing there are quite similarities with the witch in this film okay um the idea is that um you know this is a settlement where the people have just settled in uh obviously and um the idea is like man hasn't like man hasn't fully conquered this land and yeah and nature is like gains control look at the volcano in this in this film and how the the way that the land and it's in a way it's kind of like okay this natural world is dominated by the gods in this film as such that uh again with a volcano exploding or even just you know the scenes where um Vildnir's men are being basically attacked by demons really it's or even Amleth going to his cave where the Norse gods, you know, he communicate with Norse gods, or even going to find the um, the Yarl, um, Yarl's tomb and retrieving that uh, godly weapon. It's very much an idea of like this is a world where the gods are around and they dominate kind of nature. That, that's my opinion. In a similar way to the witch, how kind of there are like some sort of godly or ungodly forces that dominate the landscape and nature. Um, but I, I, and it, it works, it works so well. It, it, watching this film, it feels so much like it's very isolated, which makes it so well because when they all get in the kind of attacked and plagued by these demons and foul misery you know they they feel like it's the this this is this the land that's doing it um and i, I you know it's, it's such an isolated film to the point where like you know their the numbers are dwindling as more of them get killed by amleth and uh you know the, the demons he inflicts on the on the land and and, and again talk about realism obviously something like this probably didn't really happen in real life but that's where the fancy aspect comes into it <laughs> and um these are and what makes it so well is you know we uh, i'm talking about the scene of the soldiers where they see kind of visions of amleth and they start stabbing themselves like it's it's in a way that's kind of the realistic aspect of it because they're not really going to them they're going to see demons but there's no could be no demons there do you see where i'm coming from i might go yeah. on a bit of a tangent but like no no it's no it's good hmm i i um i i agree i can definitely see the sort of like parallels between 
um, isolated landscapes and how yeah man uh, humanity will interact with it. Um, I I don't know. I I I think this is probably I I, I right. I really like this film, but I think in terms of ah. Uh, like Egger's pure vision. I think there has been a lot of like inf- interference with like um like the studio. Really? Yeah. I mean I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's it's hell you know, if if he was allowed to, you know, go all out, it would have just been like I don't know, like you know like a lot of people say like Tenet is the most like Christopher Nolan y film that ever was. I think you know there was voices in like the discussion like rooms that basically like they held him back and basically like restrained him from going too far. See, I think it, I think I was... it was for the, for the good. I think um, his vision, you know, what is I wouldn't say it's been diluted, but not necessarily by bad agents. See, I was surprised that like how his film got a fifteen rating to us because there are some stuff happens in his film. I'm thinking, oh. Like this is an eighteen rating. Like, like what when you said that like they're trying to hold him back from like actually going all out. What do you mean by that? Like, um, uh, just just by being very um, let me think. Just just being really just fucked up. Because if you, if you watch like The Witch and um. The, the lighthouse i think especially in terms of like the denouement or like the ending of the film there's a lot of like ambiguity especially with the fate of um i forget her name but anya taylor joy's character in the, in yeah. the witch yeah. and then robert panson's character in the lighthouse ambiguity in terms of their fate and whether it's a positive or negative thing that they they um they transcend or, or they like they become what they become right at the end. Whereas it um at the end of the Northman, you know, it's that classic sort of like it's it's not wholly positive, but it is very pyrrhic, I think, in terms of Amleth dies. Yeah, but but he dies satisfied that um his line, you know, and is secure, his is um is paramour, so Anya Taylor Joy's character is safe, as are his children, and his enemy is dead. See, you know, I feel his like his fate has been fulfilled. I feel like that was Edgar's vision for that. Because hmm. what the studio would do is, if they wanted this to be like, oh, a happy ending, which will, I think, will completely ruin the film. I'm glad that Edgar's had you. You know, I feel like this is what Edgar's vision was. You know, the main character's going to die in this. And he's gonna die because end of the day he's got blood on his hands. Um, when he murders his mother, when he kills his mother and his half brother, you know there's no turn back for him. In a way, he can't go back to being the man he he, he was. And the, you know the idea is like you know he can't live a you know can't go back to a peaceful life and raise his children because in the, the day he's he's con- he's conducted horrible grisly things to people and. You know that he will always be haunted by the stuff he's done. So him dying is really about, in a way, him finding peace. Um, and, but I feel like the, the, stu- the studio would have done it so it'd be like they he would be have succeeded, and he, well, he did succeed, but like he would have survived, and it would have ended with him kind of 
reuniting with his loved ones now but i feel like that would that would have uh really ruined the film to be honest Mm. i mean you could say that eggers could have gone further in with terms of like the kind of shock factor but to be honest there's stuff that happens in this this film that are like so shocking you're just like okay like this (laughs) gives game of thrones a run for his money like you see you know you see you know, if you're a dog lover or a horse lover, you do not like to watch. It's hard watching a film like yeah. this. Um, there's, you know, there's people... I think um, you know that I forget his name, but like the character, like no knows. Yeah, yeah, like how um, Amleth just like he, he, you know, he pins him to like I think it was like the the hat or something, didn't he? Or like one of those like mounds of like hay, and then he just like finishes the job. So he just like he plants his like um, sword through his nose. Into yeah, his, uh, into his brain. That was horrendous. It's all shock factor, but again, look at Game of Thrones. That was shock factor as well. There's, there's some stuff that happens in Game of Thrones. You're but, like, but I feel, it's there to make shock factor. I feel, yeah, it was shock factor, but I feel like there was meaning and and it was more, uh, yeah, like fulfilling. Or it, like it was more, um, it was it was better done in this film, I think. I think a lot of it makes sense as well because they were obviously if you're going in part of rituals they would behead a horse or even in the cases where the dogs go crazy they would kill the dogs because the dogs are attacking them. Um, yeah, there are some you know even I think certain scenes are important like especially when you see like Olga and you know, she's having a period and there's blood down so she's not you know with way ripe for rape from Volnir. It obviously, it's important that it's there. It's not just this there because why not? Like, you know, and I, I agree with you on that. In Game of Thrones, there were like t- times where it was like, okay, why is this there? Is this for shock factor? Um, but hmm. I would have, I think that this worked well because it shows you just how brutal it is. Like, you know, like no one is safe in this world. Animals aren't safe in this world. You know, like the women kind of like, are used as kind of like cattle by by the men. Yeah. Um, I think um, I think I think something which Robert Eggers did manage to put through here, like from his his vision of this film. I I I'll, I'll say this: I could, I would not mm-hmm. bring a girl to watch watch this in the cinema. <laughs> that would be it would be like a bit weird. Weird. Well, you yeah. say that, but I have something which is quite I don't know. So I think so. He co-wrote this with Sean. Yeah, um, an Icelandic um, lyricist and and poet, but I this I think this is pure Robert Eggers. Is that um, in in the witch he, he sought to create something which was very feminine and very like um, I'd say coming of age for um, uh, the character, and then in the lighthouse he was very very masculine and challenging yeah. Yeah. Um, several aspects of classical masculinity. But but I think in this it straddles the idea of masculine and masculinity and femininity in this in this time very very well um it critiques masculinity very well i'd say in the first half and then in the second half it it goes very very deep into saying how um how femininity can can well was one um, shown in this time, and then how we had affected certain characters. Um, I don't know if you you recognise this. Maybe this is just me being a bit um, 
I don't know, like, um, like reach in, like f- for, um, like for a conclusion. But when Amleth was a berserker, his his hair, you know, he was like long hair, and then he had a band, and I I, I think so. It, it was almost like you could see the hair. So his head looked like a dick. Okay. It was this ultra sort of like masculine image of just like aggression attacking this village. Yeah, all of them were. If you if we look at like their um, let me just see if I'm not talking rubbish. I think they they all were. They all had sort of like long hair and a band holding it off like their off their face, like their fringe. But it it made it look like that you know there's like the head of the penis. Okay. It's, it's a, a satire of just like this ultra ma- like poison masculinity in this time. There's all like these men were they were fueled by rage and masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. But they was you know this this is part of um, Norse culture. Magic can only be wielded by women, and the only male that was ever truly able to master magic, like Seder magic, like faith magic, was Odin. And Odin it was very, um, I'd say, gender bending in the um, in the myths. So like there's times you know, he disguised himself as like women, or he he had a lot of like feminine qualities. It's really weird, but. Um, femininity in this, you know, as you were saying about um, Olga's character, like, portrayed by Annie Taylor-Joy, um, Fjordnir is afraid to rape her when she's menstruating. Why? I'd say it's, it's because he's afraid of what she's able to do. You know, like women being able to curse him, you know, being able to of of different types of magic, and him violating her you know, raping her, he, she'd be able to do all sorts of things to him in return. Again, um, the authority that um, Nicole Kidman's character, so um, Queen Gudrun, the the influence she had over um, the king and then over Fjotnir. Um, and, you know, like the Valkyrie as well. Um, like taking... Um, Amleth to Valhalla at the end, and and, and um, the CRS as well, betrayed by Björk. All like these very influential characters are female. There is like the um, he's called the He Witch, so he's the one that manages to um, communicate with like the the head of um, the fool. Yeah, but I think he's the only one. I I think it's a bit of an exception. I I don't know why they had him. I think it was just purely to have, like, you know, you know, like the scene in Hamlet of, like, you know, um, the, the skull of Horik. Yeah. Uh, alas, poor Horik. I, I, uh, Yorick, I knew him well, you know, and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I think the, the magic, you know, it's, it's meant to show, like, sort of like the power of, of, of uh, females. I think, I, I think he was trying to show the sort of like balance between. <sighs> it's it, it's men yeah, were in no. men were in like traditional positions of authority. So, yeah, you know, like, there was King Orvandil, and there was the the chief, you know, his brother, the chief uh, Fjotnir. Um, the head of the berserkers was an old man. Um, the the owner of the Hellblade is it, is it the Hellblade? 
the the mound dweller. It's... He was a man as well. Well, this is. I I like your you know the way you described him here, and again, this is this is so interesting because. Yeah, it, it, it shows that women in, women were in positions where they could be as powerful as the men. Like, yeah. obviously, the men at times would fear the women because they had, you know, the idea of, like, they had kind of the, the powers of magic or links mm. to uh, the female gods. And um, I, I think I mentioned it to you when we came out to the cinema as well. Like, power over, um, what do they call it? The, the sort of, like, the um, the harvest. Of the, yeah. of the earth, yeah. I I think Olga, like um, Amleth, like refers to her, her magic as like earth magics. Mm. So it is, but definitely like, the power of nature and nature as you know, like Mother Nature as nature is female, as as able to create life, whereas may, men destroy life. But like, if you look at um, if you compare this the representation of women in this film compared to the witch, the witch is very much the kind of um you know a fundamentalist christian kind of idea of what a woman is the idea that the man will have more power of the women because of the what they it's kind of they based it on the kind of the teaching of the bible mm. so in, in a way the bible really has kind of like really redone what it's basically such a difference between teachers like you had female warriors in like Norse mythology and in like shows like, you know, the Vikings have female warriors and stuff whilst in Christianity, nothing like that. And it shows how like kind of hits how the complete opposite it, the reputation of women is in the Christian um, teachings than it is in the um, Christian kind of, obviously maybe the mythology or whatever compared to what is in uh, Norse mythology. Um. So yeah, I um, I I I, def- I definitely I definitely agree with that really, and um, I yeah I, I I definitely agree, and obviously the role that women play in this film is obviously very important. The idea that you know the Queen Gudrun is she's the bearer of uh, Flogny's obviously child, so she has this control. You know she. In in a, in a way, she has more of kind of control of the sun than Fafnir does, um, and I know we probably I probably end up going towards the kind of incest kind of vibe that is in this film, and maybe some people might think about maybe why do we need that? But in a day, it's kind of you know this isn't <laughs> this is back then when kind of everyone kind of. You know, slept with each other really. Uh, well, well, that's not the best description of I, it, but like it, it's I'm kind of like, like tentative. It's, 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 I, think, it's, I think it was, um, it's bloodline, like... it's bloodline, it's what keeps the bloodline going and pure and secure. Well, that the queen only did that basically to shame Amleth, yeah. But you wouldn't think that this what will ha- what was kind of like back then, you know, kind of like the idea of the mud. Some you know the 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 son will sleep with the mother because it keeps the bloodline pure, <laughs> pure. You know, you gotta go to bed. This was this is this is like this this was kind of a lot of mythologies back then were like that. Hmm. Well, it explored you know stuff like that. You know, so maybe going into sort of like um, 
Oedipus Rex. And it shows, you know, like that that sort of like relationship was sinful. You know, it's it's meant to be like a parable. Whereas... Oh yeah, it's supposed to be sinful, but like yeah. it's it's it was right, common. I think, like it, I think it was very yeah right. I think like what they were trying to show in this was that she, you know, kissed Amla to a son to 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 see if it was anything like um, his father Orvandil, and she, you know, she's like rubbing it in his face that oh, you know, it, it did like taste like him. Because she was saying, wasn't she, that the king was, you know, she owned. Uh, sorry, he owned her as a slave, and he he was a, a cruel person. It, it, just to shame him, just to, to show him that his legacy is fruitless, you know, and that it's it's worthless. You know, she was just a, a spiteful person. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if Hamlet is that is that a symbol of Hamlet, like or that... um, I I I'm not sure. I've never read it in in its no. entirety. No, I know the main parts, but like not that, not the rest yeah. of it. But um, I know it's quite interesting because obviously, and, and again, like you know, it's people could say that kind of is latching onto the whole Game of Thrones kind of thing with Lannisters, but like in a day, it's kind of in a strange way that is what it's kind of like back then. It was obviously frowned upon, but it was common, really. Um, it was really only until Christianity really obviously had the book where it says, you know, you can't, you know, they had the Christian teachings where it really became very sinful for incest. That's, you know, <laughs> but if you look at any other period in history, it's pretty much just some sort of incest involved, you know, look at the borders <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's end of the day, you know, we're not, uh, we're not going to spend the rest of this podcast on my incest because. Oh, thank God! No, what you? <laughs> <laughs> you thought I was going to talk about? No. Um, also, in a very strange way, I compare like Amleth with um, with about with uh, I was kind of cinema. I compared like Amleth to like uh, Bruce Wayne in the Batman film, and the idea is he his he his kind of crusade is revenge against his uh from the death of his his vengeance from the death of his parents because he thought they were like great people and they were the good of gotham and then him finding out that his they weren't the people that he thought they were kind of similar to amleth really realizing that his you know he spent years trying to you know get you know Avenge his father and find out his father yeah. wasn't well, the man that he thought he would be. You know, it's basically like the child holding this very um, idealistic and very innocent view of their parents in their mind that these mm. parents are, you know, sinless and that they are paragons of everything good in the, in the world. And then growing up eventually, becoming, you know, I don't know, maybe like the embodiment of, yeah, like anger, like revenge and realizing that, you know. The truth is much more, it's much darker. Yeah, and 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 you needed something like that, something I kind of. You needed that kind of development to happen to Amber's character, otherwise it would have been kind of the the same throughout, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and obviously, he knows that, and when he escapes with Olga, he knows that he would, they wouldn't, his children won't be safe, his lineage won't be safe. So he makes that sacrifice 
not for himself. End of the day, he's fighting. It's he basically wants revenge against Vladimir for the death of his father. But when he realizes his father wasn't the man he thought he was, his man, his father was really much no different to Vladimir, or or at all. You know, Vladimir. Then he knows that, like, okay, it shocks him to realize that my 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 kind of purpose is kind of, you know, my purpose is broken. But then he finds a new purpose when Olga tells him that she's pregnant, and but he realizes that. He needs to kill Fovnir because to protect his children. And that's why. So his purpose becomes one of kind of, it's, it's not, it becomes not, he's not, his purpose to kill Fovnir at the start was one about honor, regain honor, regain lost honor. And now it becomes one of, uh, you know, saving his children. And I think that was just really well done. And that, and it, that was great character development there. Because when you're fighting him by the end, yes, he's done like horrible things, and you, it's hard to root for him at the end. But then you realize that you can see he's not doing it now for his 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 own self gain. He's doing it for to save his family. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's nothing original, really. No, it's in not showing it's, the it's progression, not. you know, of like the yeah, like the the person who wants to take revenge and realizing that. You know, there's more to life, I think, than just like this singular vision of a tr- of attaining. Vengeance. Yeah, it's it's been done you so know. many times, but yeah. it's, you know what it's gonna be like. But it's one of the yeah. most. I, know, it's not a critique, though. I think no, that no. yes, it's been done, but I think for such a film, it does it in such a unique way. I think, and I, I just the look of the film as well, and. You're you're too, I think, busy in engrossing yourself in this like this time period and this culture, you know, this honor shame culture. And you're like, I think a really good part of it was they included that game. I I, I did get it. Up. It's called um. Is that kind of like something? The, the football kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's, um, yeah. It means ball game. It's basically yeah. It was an actual like um a game played by Vikings in Iceland. I, I think it was really good in showing, like, it wasn't just like, yeah, you know, we're just going to do the laundry, eat some food, and then go raiding. These people lived and they wanted to play games. Yeah. You know, they they, they lived. And you, you were there, you know, and, and I think it was, it's good, you know, they, they were speaking in um, English for us to relate to these people easier. But, you know, any sort of, like, say, spells or any sort of, like, songs, it was sung in um, in Norse, Old Norse, which was very good. Because then it showed then that it was more of, like, this unknown, mystical, magical aspect. And we, we, we can't understand it. But obviously the lyrics were there, but it was, it was the sound of it was, was there. And we were exposed to this, yeah, as I said, this mystical aspect of this world. Much like the characters, you know, when they're exposed to this magic, you know, they are as mystified as we are. Also, that that that, that scene is really important because it also shows again the bar- bar- barbarity that 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 man that um, obviously nearly kills the the young prince. Oh yeah, that's um, that's the the mountain, isn't it? Yeah, that's, I think it's the that mountain. From, 
Is it the mountain from one of the seasons? Oh, it's just... like it's the the main guy. It's like the last person who played him. Really? It's half half Thor. Yeah. Oh look. Oh ah oh, ah. Uh... Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. It's huh, interesting. Um. Yeah, but um. What was I saying? I I loved like the whole like look of the film as well. So the c- cinematography. I've I haven't mentioned that yet. Um, it's by Yarin Blaschke. He did um he did the other two of um Rob Egger's films. So he did The Lighthouse and The Witch. It's it's so different though than what he's done before. I think the landscape shots especially were. Whereas I think there was more middle, uh, sorry, medium to close-up shots dominated with the other two films, very enclosed environments. But in this, it was it was given like much more room to breathe and showing this very, uh, I want to say, stark, again, very uh, desolate uh, um, landscape. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and I, mean, again, I, say, I say I say stark and desolate. I mean, you know, like these very like. Um, rocky like craggy terrains you see like the sort of like salt flats and it's dominated in the background by like these huge like um basalt cliffs it's, it's amazing well if you like obviously compare this one to these other films they're quite like s- small places like i mean the witch yeah. is set in like this small area of a forest yeah one one set dominated you, films. you, you yeah. don't you don't see these massive landscapes and, and all that and obviously the lighthouse is set like you know on like an island a small island with this you know you could tell the the budgets there and robert eggers has a chance to show these beautiful shots of the landscape the coast the mountains the forest it's he has you know it, it's he has the chance to do that and it's mm. absolutely beautiful. And again, mm. you know, people, yeah, cinematography is really important to make films, I guess, because it engulfs you into this world and, and I, um, where these characters live in it. Yeah. I, I want to say as well that like the, the palette was definitely dominated by um, a sense of ice and fire. Uh, you know, they, they normally say that Iceland is the land of ice and fire. It's, very very cold sort of like sub-arctic um conditions but then again there's you know like the the the, the volcanoes you know like the sort of like the the plate tectonics and the gates of hell you know like this this aspect that it is so much like fire going along as well as the ice it was done very well in like certain scenes you know, like very warm atmosphere and sometimes in the um sense of like family or like um cozy aspects of like the film that was very um warm lit but then very in other scenes then it was very cold and very um oh very chilling sort did, of looks did you, did you did you did you have a feeling when you're watching that film because i did i watched it and i feel like thank fuck i did not live back then <laughs> like yeah. thank fuck i did not yeah. live in that place back then because like oh my god like it, it's you know People talk about how they live, they struggle to live today. Like, oh my God, living back then. Like, yeah. Well, a... um, uh, Fjotnir's like, um, enclosure where, you know, his like, yeah, like his little tribal little area in hmm. Iceland. When like the slaves were being brought up to it, I was like feeling really cold. You see, like, the uh, Fjotnir and his son, you know, and, and they're all like bundled up and warm. And then all the slaves like they with like they're like rotten little like um little like bits of like clothing. I'm like Jesus Christ, it's cold. Even the um the sh- 
even the ship journey just felt just mm. awful. Oh yeah, you got, got to think about that. It's like you're a slave on a, sh- on a you know, the, 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 the chance of you getting arriving at your destination is very slim back then. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely just. But you know that's why this is such a a world of survival. That's why there's a lot of you know murdering and you know I'll say this a lot of you know a lot of people having children and stuff like that and a lot of murdering because it's it's it's, it's survival the fittest. But this is the world that you need to survive in because yeah. then if if you you know if you lose you're dead really and. Ambleth is someone that really and and, the, and also it's one of the things I like to it's your man to survive. You have to lose yourself. You have to become mm. less of a man. Well, in idea, less of a man, you become like a beast, an animal. And Ambleth really is the whole time he's like a he's a beast, isn't he? Like yeah. Yeah, that's that's the idea of him is like he's like he's howling with the wolves and and uh, and all that. It's He's more an, more animal than man, um, but yeah, that was in, good. A, in a day he be, he's become that because of the world that he mm. he lives in. Yeah, and I th- I think that was good. You know, this, it was very weird seeing like him and um, the king when they see um, Hamir the fool and they're acting like you know dogs. Yeah, I thought that was really weird, but it was sh- it shows I mean, it's, it's thematic. Mm. The, you know, the, these people have been reduced just to animalistic urges yeah. in this world. But by the end, you know, obviously, uh, Ham- Amleth has found a reason to live, not just for himself, but for others. Yeah. So he is—he's a man. He's not just—he's not a beast anymore. No. I feel like the beasts will always reside there, but yeah, he yeah. becomes more a of a man of yeah. as the film develops. Mm. In but a way, it shows. You know how much of a, a person they are truly if they can overcome those. Sort of, he goes part back. Of them. He goes back to what he was at the start of the film as a young boy. Um, just more, at the end know, of the film. No, at the beginning of the film when he's a young boy. Oh right. Oh sorry. He yeah. mass, but he's first introduced to the whole wolf-like nature at the beginning of the film, and and then he's quite innocent. Um, mm. But and that kind of then that innocence does come back at the end of um, the film. I wouldn't say innocence; I'd say more optimism. Yeah, optimism probably yeah. Could, probably bad word. Yeah, and um, I think it's really good that you said there. Actually, um, he was introduced to this animalistic nature by his father, so it's very much like this this world where people are brutal. They introduce this brutal nature to their children. Yeah, maybe as a coping mechanism, or maybe as like a, a tool for survival. The sins but of the father. It, yeah, yeah, it, it, but it's a toxic trait hmm. that it's inherited from their parents, and I think it's it's. I wouldn't say it's told to us. It's it and not. It's not even shown actually. So a show and tell doesn't come in, into it. It's quite clever that you don't even see it. You all you see is just like the. Pretending that they're animals and meeting, you know, the fool to to fulfill this sort of like, well, well, to, to to bind their fate together, sort of thing. Yeah. But him just saying, you know, like copy me and do as I do, it puts Amleth on this path of, you know, 
I, I would even just say imprinting upon him this animalistic urge to, you know, like, you know, you must, um, you, you must maintain this honor of the family and, and for yourself and your father, and you must maintain, you know, the, the, the masculine image and, and everything about it. I think it's really good. It was very well done, I think, screenwriting, screenwriting wise. It's such so much similarity between um, Amleth and uh, Thorfinn from Vinland Saga. Yeah, just how oh, yeah. the death of their father just makes mm. them into this bloodthirsty. Yeah, well, they lose, warriors. don't they? A- any, I, w- I wouldn't say Arvandil was a, a perfect role model, but they lose any sort of sense of a positive role model. Yeah, yeah, and instead, it's replaced by a very toxic ma- um, masculine role. Um, with Amleth, especially. When he, he um you know he becomes a member of um a Viking band um that raids the Slavic settlements in Russia in the Rus. Um he he's just one of many of these berserker who you know they they lose their own mass um humanity to just to raid as animals. Yeah. And and that um, the old leader of of the raiding party, he you know he commends him for like how savage he is. It's the idea of the importance. Far figures are important are important, but like it it shows how the way you kind of direct your child the way it influences the way they become yeah. as a person. And obviously, that you see that in everything really. Mm. Well, that's um, that's the same. That old, old the the leader of the war raid, um, the war raid. We don't. I don't really think we get like a name for him, but he leads the chant when like the berserkers are, you know, um, they they're psyching themselves up essentially, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He he's singing. He's leading them in the chant. It's the same thing. He is the one that's perpetuating this cycle of violence, and that's their culture. But it's just perpetuating the the cycle, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's um, you look for anything in history, the idea of just like the the, the violence and the aggressive the aggressive aggressiveness of man, but it's all just it's all tribal. It all goes back to, you know, the days of when we were cavemen and. Yeah, had to those, those, from, those from one valley were fighting against people from another mm-hmm. valley. And the only mm-hmm. reason they were fighting each other was because they were afraid they'd take each other's yeah. food and water. It's, it's human yeah. nature. You can never change it. Like, you well, can never... Yeah, that's why you look it. for... That's why people, like... Um, I, I, I'd be safe to say that's why racism exists. It's because people feel secure knowing that a person that looks similar to one to oneself even if it's part of egoism, like implicit um, egoism, that they feel safer because they think that any sense of familiarity means safety. Exactly. And also the idea about like back of back then, like the sports of men would be to go hunting or to, you know, uh, you know go raiding and stuff like that. Now it's really much that if you want to kind of, you know, you got this whole testosterone and aggressiveness. You would do sports, wouldn't you? Like rugby and stuff well, like that. Well, I think um, we we're, we're much less dependent upon it now. But the no. sense of tribalism is definitely there. Oh, it's now. always been. It's always been there. Like, but I think uh, now it's 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 um, 
it's restricted to what color shirts someone wears on a playing field. Yeah, it does, and you know, yeah, it, yeah. it's like this is why you know it, it's it's the same thing. It's all it is is people dress it up differently. People, you know, why why do like why does football hooliganism exist? It's because it's it is this tr- pure tribalism. Like these people, right? Like they they're from different countries, different cultures. People don't even speak the same languages, but they they love this logo and this shirt, right? And they hate anyone that wears this different color shirt. Well, it's like banners, isn't it? Of um, yeah, flags. Yeah, of flags, and and then the, you know it's football. It's well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm, today, I'm, just using, I'm like, just using football as an example. Yeah, I, 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 I know. I'd say it's yeah, the most yeah, popular, yeah, um, tribal yeah. sport. Yeah, yeah, and also today you can't go around just merging people and kind of get away with it. <laughs> yeah, back, yeah, but back I, then, I'd say back then you can raid the village and get away with it. Yeah. Now you just can't. But, but I'd say that's, <laughs> you know, that's like... why p- uh, pugilism, so like you know, the the pure form of um, boxing, is still popular. Why why do we like to see one triumph over the other? It's because it's it's the scent, and especially like you know, like male boxing, you know, because Fury has just won. He he won his bout against White. Why his his victory so satisfying? It's because people knew, I think, that he was the best in his sport at the moment. So seeing him um, triumph over, you know, the challenger is very satisfying because, you know, he's the champion. So seeing any challenge against him be destroyed, you know, he, he is like the chief, isn't he? He is the champ of this sport. And it's very nice to see the status quo maintained. And also, um, you know, people enjoy watching. You know, you pose the question: Why do people enjoy, you know, enjoy watching boxers fight each other? It's because the blood, the, the bloodlust of people. Really, they, you know, back then, it's, it back then, it kind of your sport. If you wanted to see two people fight each other, it'd be like a duel, wouldn't it? Or if you go to another like, coliseum and a mm, arena yeah. and stuff like that. So it's always, you know, it's not just the. It's, you know, it's like that kind of kind of bloodlust. There, I know you wouldn't say the word bloodlust, but it kind of was. Like people... No, I I think it is. I think um, but I think it's been replaced. I think by you know people associating themselves. You know, like that's why they have favorite fighters because they they want to attach themselves to this. Or failing that, they'll put money on it. So yeah. m- money is very weird because money doesn't exist in nature. So it's it's very different, but people attach themselves to the idea that they win you know they, they they believe in someone so much that they're willing to put material possessions on it in the form of monetary value so by by them winning the bet on their person their champion their faith in this champion has only been reaffirmed and it's been made stronger because of it mm. so i i think yeah you know as i said money doesn't exist in nature so there's no um evolutionary basis on it but all it does is just um it i think exemplifies anything that is already there so any sort of it, all it is is just self uh, self re, um affirmation the belief in in one idea is just um reaffirmed yeah and coming back to the northman i think that's why 
it's satisfying to see you you know that you know both of them so Fjotnir and um Amleth are gonna die but it's just the matter of who who won that bout in the end in the day where you're looking for different ways you can have a look about in terms of who won in the way of Amleth won because in, in the, his lineage passed on while Fjolnir's died with him. Yeah. Or you could say that really none of them won. Hmm. I if see. Um... As, as just, yeah. I just personally, if, it, if you don't incorporate what, everything else around them and just those two, they, they both lose. If you look at it the classic Norse way, I'd say both of them won. You know, because they both attained <laughs> a violent, glorious end. End so of the they, day. So they were both end... carried to Valhalla, I suppose. But yeah, but end of the day. Um, I know this is this is probably dumb, but like in the day, Fornir was the one who did the start all this. So <laughs> you know, he bought this on himself, really. But yeah, but then but, again, but you could that, turn around and be that like, was a "Crime was it?" No, no, but it, well, I don't. You know, I... it wasn't the cultural uh, crime, was it? I think it was. I think back then it was still pretty bad. You, you're killing your brother and usurping the throne. Like regicide is pretty bad. I suppose he he was a betrayer. Yeah, it is regicide. Uh, but, he, he did commit regicide. I not so much regicide, but he yeah, but killed he, his king. He he. he, he regicide. No, no, but it's if like you kill a, a king. It was glorious because you killed someone in a position of power, but you killed your own king. Yeah, so that's why I feel like you're, it's... A, you're a betrayer. Yeah, yeah. Dante Alighieri in in um, Dante's Inferno, the the most sinful person in all of hell. So in in the the ninth circle of hell is the betrayer. He he thought that was the most evil person there was, and I think it would have extended back then because. Even in in the um in the introduction scene of Fjotnir, he um affir- he reaffirms his faith and his allegiance to the king, and then in the following scene of Fjotnir, he betrays that faith and he kills the king. That is evil in the eyes of the Norse, and I I suppose it would have been evil in the eyes of like the gods. So Amleth was justified in thinking that uh, Fjotnir was evil. Yeah. But do you see what I mean? I feel like no, I see what you mean. Killing yeah, yeah. a king would have been seen as glorious because you killed someone who, yeah, especially own, at that you, time, would have been seen be as a champion. Killing your own, killing your own king, yeah, it's, it's and especially not. he was a kinsman as well. So killing, you know, what one it's of the sta- family. It's a, so stab, it's, it's a stab in the back, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah, and you're you're killing one of your own kinsmen, so you're sabotaging your family's lineage as well. Mm. It's evil, right? Because the family was everything. Not going into the incest route again, right? No, Gordon, but well, no, I, I know. I'm just, I, I, with that, I was just explaining basically I, I know, why I know, yeah. it was common back then, yeah. you know. Yeah, I think all of this was in Robert Egger's mind, by the way. Yeah, I, I truly think he, um, himself and Sean were going into the gritty devil's details about what these Norsemen were thinking. Yeah, you know what? Why was Amleth so determined? Is because he probably, as as I was saying about the betrayer, he probably viewed Fjotnir as the devil, and it was only it was only his pure rage and vengeance 
that he didn't kill him on sight when he went to his compound in Iceland. He wanted to secure the most, you know, glorious end, maybe like for himself in killing but, uh, the king. It's always well, that well, the chief. There's also that kind. That's also that kind of idea that everyone wants to be a legend, like Ragnar. Lothbrok does all this because of his idea was, was he wants to be a legend. Um, mm. You know, well, um, I'd say um, it was. It's almost like um, an answer to to nihilism. He wanted to kill the chief, no, because he wasn't living for himself, was he? All he was doing was just murdering people as a berserker, and he wanted to avenge his father, save his mother, and kill uh, Fjotnir. Yeah, it was nothing about fulfilling his own aims no. or wishes or you know um making himself happy or or the people he loved happy it was all about the promise he made to his father who you know embodied very toxic masculine traits and you know avenging him even after he learned that he wasn't a good person he still wanted to avenge him but I he think was, it, he was carrying I, out his father's honor. He was maintaining his father's honor. Not even securing his own honor. But I think, I personally think that when he kills Philip near the end, not because of his father, but because of his family, his love is like his future. Um, what was it, offspring? He, he viewed it as a tree, though, didn't he? I think yeah. that was a very good uh, image in that uh, he, he saw if the branch that held his father was cut or rotted away hence like the honor like the the um the glue that bounds like the branches together like the honor was not there anymore the whole branch you know holding his own sapling his own scion would deteriorate and all of his descendants would like they would hold no honor but in um re-establishing the honour of his father's line, he secured his own, and then his own children's honour. No, forevermore. It's a good point. I never thought about that, actually. No, but that's, that's a good point. It was replaced, so, like, the future, it was replaced by his daughter's glory instead. And you made a very good point coming out of the cinema, which I didn't notice at the start. Do you want to say it, or should I... Yeah, I don't, the, I don't it, really want to take your like your is it, glory. Is it with um, the, the 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 daughter and the son, and then and then it's like a, a womb? Yeah, symbol. Yeah, yeah. I, I I really feel that image was it turned the idea that the toxic masculinity is replaced by Olga, who would bring her children up without that um, negative male presence. Yeah, yeah. And even without Amleth, because yes, maybe he would have been a good father to them, but would he have projected his own like um, drawbacks, his own negative traits onto his children, thus perpetuating the cycle? But because like, he wasn't um, there, he wasn't able to do it. The way you describe the that. daughter becomes the the ruler. Do not that? Not the son. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like Eggers is trying to show kind of the the evolution of man from barbaric to civilized. Yeah. Um, and the beginning of the film is all about the barbarism, the kind of lust for war, how um, how King 
Oh, Randil came back from a battle and it was all about uh, honour, drinking, celebrating his victory and how he wants to die in battle to the end of this film how, where um, Olga, as you said, really wants to bring up her children to become less those barbaric, you know, war is everything to becoming more civilised and violence isn't always the answer. So yeah. I think that's a really good idea. And... It's interesting with Robert Eggers because I think somebody con I think he was in an interview and they said you said he would never make any film set in the present day. And mm. you said something about like, well, why do I need to make films set in the present day where stuff that goes but what goes on in the present day I can show through these films set in the past. And personally I prefer looking at what watching shows and films set in the present past tense because um you know the past tense because it shows so much of our today through the past hmm. because if you look at it like if yeah. you look at the lighthouse it's about masculinity and kind of um in you know in terms of yeah. isolationism i'd um I'd go so far as to say that he does a very good job in showing not just um contemporary issues like modern um like ephemeral issues but he shows um uh issues or say you know the human condition that's ever you know it's not ephemeral it's a um i'd say it's like um an eternal issue you know it's it's, yeah. all, it's ever present within yeah. humanity yeah. so it doesn't matter whether you lived as um a senator in ancient Rome, or um, I don't know, like a an investment banker in modern day New York. You, the the these same issues impacted you. It yeah. doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, I I really do think that he's he's onto a winner here. Yeah, yeah. I we, I and I'm I'm really excited to see what his next one would be. You reckon they will um, they will call this the Virtuality? <laughs> nice the the yeah the witch the like, house the northman yeah because yeah because it's three films so there needs to be some like a, a nice catchy little we right, right we need to coin it right now we need to we need to coin it and trademark it i'm gonna look and at this, sell it to um, robert eggers i'm gonna see what he's got coming out after this because that's where he's got some other films yeah He's doing a Nosferatu remake. That's what I heard. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it the Human Condition trilogy right now. It's not it's not very like um catchy, but that's why no, I'm gonna call it. That's quite interesting. Um he's yeah, calls Nosferatu and then he's making a film called The Night, Ooh. which could probably pro probably be based on a legend of a knight or something, or could be it says action fantasy, so Nice, like a medieval sort of one. That'd yeah, be a nice out in for uh, Robert Eggers. I would quite. I, 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 I don't. I've never seen an interview with Robert Eggers. I don't really know, like, what, what it. I think I have a nice insight into his mind seeing these three films, but I, I feel like the mystery surrounding him. Oh, uh, okay. It's okay. very alluring. Okay, I. Uh, um. So apparently, um, the night. Ultimately, was not produced. Oh no! Uh, so there was happening. Obviously, he's he's um. So he's he's um. He's he's writing, directing this film called The Vampire, which is a remake of Nosferatu. Nice. Um. Uh. Apparently, it's going to be his fourth film. He's also developing a mini series about the life of Rasputin. 
Nice. That's going to be interesting. Oh, That's you know that oh, the pick is, um, is top yeah, picks, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, what are you saying in... about the The Trilogy? Yeah. Did you come up with that? I know. I, well, I, I, somebody, I read like a, um, a comment and I think, no, I, I wouldn't say I've come up oh, with you, it. Oh, you should have said yes. <laughs> and then we could just say like, you, you trademarked it. Oh, no. It's your Cause, like, cause a lot of, if you, yeah, there's probably a lot of reviews for this film. Are probably, they're called it the trilogy. Yeah. The, the... Um, um, but I think, Oh, I think Rasputin would be good because then there's just some weird mythological stuff of that as well, isn't it? Like mm. you could, and also it's such a it's such a weird person you could do it on because you can go into kind of like those trippy kind of arty scenes and stuff like that and style. I, I'm looking forward to it. That's that's pretty good. And yeah, I like that first, turn of the um, century like uh, yeah. Russian history. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. Um, Come on, Eggers, don't disappoint. Do it. And that no, I think that's a good. Time to end uh, the episode, really. Our review of the yeah, Northman. nice. Uh, so, uh, what would you give the Northman your final rating? Nine point five out of ten. Easily, I would. I would say nine point five out of ten. Yeah. Um, I think this was uh, an amazing film. I've, I, I, it really stands out throughout a lot of kind of like the fantasy revenge tale. I know it's pretty much like you know it's it's by numbers, but again, the way that it's directed and execution executed yeah. it stands mm. out from the typical revenge kind of yeah uh, fancy story um Robert Eggers has shown that he is one of the most upcoming directors uh really one of the most upcoming directors of his generation and one of them you know one of the most uh in his hand you just know that cinema is going to a good place like you know that the way he revolution he makes his film is revolution revolutionizing cinema um, and I think it's yeah, I he's still he continues to be one of my favorite directors to his day. It's brilliant. I like how yeah. he restricts himself to his, you know to only some bits of work. Yeah, quality and, and, and quantity, and and also the idea that like a lot of people want to work with him. Like Anya Taylor, yeah, he directed this film, The Witch, which really spawned. Well, that was Anya- that was her debut. Yeah, it was, was her, her de- first role. Yeah, it, it spawned her career. Um, and then if you look at like the lighthouse, obviously William Defoe, you've got someone like William Defoe in this film. You've got Rotten Patterson, who people always assume to be kind of like the um the the the, the, you know, the, the Twilight actor of the really failed Twilight films. Yeah, that yeah. really that became a meme. And through good time and this film, it cemented him as one of the best act, upcoming actors today, and and yeah. that's why so many studios and directors want to work with one person. I love that. It can be down to the lighthouse. Um, and if you look at the the Northman, look at the cast. You've got Ethan Hawke, you've got Nick, Nicole Kidman, you've got Alexander Skarsgård, uh, and you know all these people, like even like William Defoe, Kate Dickey, Ralph Ineson, and Anthea Joy. They want to work with Robert Eggers because they know that. They, if they put the effort in, it's going to work. It's not like you're... They're not doing this film because they need to make money. Well, obviously, every actor and actress want, needs money. You know, I know what you mean. They're yeah. not doing it for like a paycheck. Yeah, like, it's oh, not I'm, a cash grab, is it? A cash grab. No, no. They know that this is director that will... You will get what you get given at the end of it, and you will not be disappointed. 
Hmm. And I've, I've... I'll, I'll have to echo everything you just said. The only um, it's a tiny little gripe I got is uh, Nicole Kidman's um, the writing of her character, um, and it's such a small thing that it's an afterthought. But it was the one issue I had, which you know, the one tiniest thing which made it not be a ten or a ten. Maybe was it the way maybe she the execution of dialogue through her or... um, I just feel like you bring someone in like Nicole Kidman and I I watch like uh, she was in The Killing of a Sacred Deer right yeah uh, opposite Colin Farrell and she was amazing and she didn't even have, have like a lot to work with in that but it was done really well because the character was well written but in this like it just felt like she was present but she had nothing to do except be there like this is Nicole Kidman you know yeah and I mean that that's it really. I mean I I'd still like to in it. I just felt like the the opportunity Do you feel like anyone could have played that role? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I I But we had the Cole Kidman, so I felt more was needed. Yeah, exactly. And maybe they used Cole Kidman as a way of because in in straight this is a film and this is sound so sex so this is a film that literally looks like a lot of men were going to see this film because you know it's about like, you know, um yeah. <laughs> and obviously well, women, women yeah. as well women as well would go and see it and but i think they're using kind of like nicole kidman to be like uh, oh nicole kidman's in this film so i it's think kind of that draw was it. um that was a marketing ploy by the uh the studio execs because yeah if you see any um i really hated the promotional material for this film the posters were shoddy the character like- posters especially were shit and I feel if they like it advertised itself as like a big war, like action adventure drama sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah, like statistically, I'm not saying you know like men will watch that, but you know statistically, like it tried to cater to a male audience, uh, yeah. which I think was wrong because it's not a male film; it's not masculine. And I feel like exclusively you use, you use Anya Taylor Joy for like a younger audience because everyone knows <sighs> Anya Taylor Joy and sex comic. appeal. It's it's unabashed sex appeal. I'm not yeah. afraid to say that. And then the Cole Kidman's That's really what the execs like, were thinking. For, I feel like the Cole Kidman was kind of there for like get middle aged women to come watch the film. Well, no, she no, mean, no, 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 for like older audiences, she's recognizable. Yeah, yeah, he's from Hawk yeah. as well. He's very recognizable. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like Alexander, um, Skarsgård, yeah. you know, the sex appeal is definitely there for him. Yeah, you know, on the opposite side of the scales, but. It advertised itself as um, a very violent adventure, like action thing. Spe- like, yeah. Not I mean, the trailers. The, the trailers the, were very like arty, but the posters, especially, were very like bland. There is a kind of sex appeal aspect there because there is like you know sex and nudity and all that in this. I just think this. that's that's just that's just also, for aesthetic. But also, yeah, also, but then it's kind of like I really a... hope someone doesn't mean me saying that now. The the sex is only there for aesthetic. <laughs> I think shit. <laughs> no, 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 bad. Um, I talk about I talk about incest and how it's so common <laughs> for a while. So, yeah. I, um, but again, this feels like the, the way. Obviously, I know this. Uh, the film was done, and I feel like you know it was done really, really well. But again, if you're looking at like in the studio point of view, it's like, oh, this is Game of Thrones. Like, if you enjoyed the sex, incest, nudity. Violent killing, uh, you know, pillaging and stuff like that. War, you would love this film. You know, that's 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 why I got the, the the thing from it, isn't it? And yeah. I think Game of Thrones people who love people who love that stuff, type of stuff in Game of Thrones will enjoy this film because it has that in it. You know, 
the the neckbeard kind of culture with love this film. And there are a lot of neckbeards in the cinema. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. that. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. And yeah. they they were like, didn't they sort of like, they didn't clap, but like they, they were started like saying something when um, Anya Taylor-Joy was on screen, didn't she? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a I bit hate that sort of like, stuff. It's a kind of bit like you're public in a public place, like yes. that'd, that'd be weird, like you know. Yeah, well, they'd be weird. They, they, they think yeah. they'd be weird. All in all, though, I think yeah, it was a very good experience seeing this film. Very great. Experience. I was definitely very engrossed in this film. Yeah. It, I was definitely. It's very rare, like nowadays, I see a film and I'm there. I'm like, I'm, tra- I'm transported to this new, like, ex- very weird world, especially like. Robert Eggers, fair play, he is a very good storyteller. Mm. Very, very good. And I, I can't wait. I, I, honestly, I, I can't wait to see what he's doing next. Um, and on that note, uh, yeah, it's the same as you. Um, I, and uh, yeah, definitely probably going to be one of my top films of this year, without a doubt. Definitely. Um, in my top 10. So um that concludes april on the coffee cast uh we're next week well, next month we're going to be busy we're going to have quite a lot on uh next week we're going to be doing another drunker chinos um episode this time we're going to start looking at kind of like some of the worst superhero films that's come out because i think like you know superhero, superhero fatigue is everywhere right now to, well not fatigue but like superhero kind of everything superhero comic books everywhere now so i think you know what Let's go back and review Daredevil, the Ben Affleck one. <laughs> um, and then after that, we're going to be reviewing um, Moon Knight, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness and the Halo TV show. Uh, and yeah, so um, stick around for May next uh, May coming up because it's going to be a lot busy on Hoffy Coffee Cast. Um, again, also follow us on Instagram because we'll be followed posting a lot of more reviews cinematography posts etc etc so yeah um thank you everyone for listening uh as i said follow us on instagram twitter and facebook pages and plus follow us on listen to us on the many many um um platforms we are on including uh spotify anchor apple google overcast amazon music radio public and podcast Again, as I said earlier, please be sure to like, follow, share, and a review if you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, it helps a lot, and we'll see you on the next Hobby Coffee Cast.